Please join me in prayer. Or we have to start with prayer today because we're talking about prayer. And without prayer, we can't do anything. So we bow in your presence and we ask that the Holy Spirit of God would open the word of God to all the people of God. Speak, Lord, for your servants seek to hear. In Jesus' precious name, amen. How can we be encouraged to be the community of prayer that Jesus longs for us to be? How can we be encouraged to be the community of prayer that Jesus longs for us to be? We continue in our series on church matters. There it is up on the screen. I'm not going to review everything. They're all on tape. They're all on the website. We're talking about the most basic things. It's always good to be reminded of what we supposedly already know. And prayer is one of the most basic things in the Christian life. And it's a nightmare for me because I've been studying this for a long time, as you know, and I have to leave so many things out. So it's a question of making choices. But let me offer you three thoughts about prayer this morning in terms of its basic, crucial elements that I think if I only had one talk to give on prayer, I would, I would focus on. So think with me about prayer for just a second. You know it's critical because Jesus did it. You know it's critical because Jesus told a parable about it, and the parable is prefaced. Let me remind you of this verse, Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That word always is critical. 1 Thessalonians 5 reads this way, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. I was a Christian for a long time before I studied that verse in earnest. It means to pray with the frequency of a hacking cough. And for those of you who know that old NyQuil commercial, remember the, you know, those old NyQuil commercials? You know, if you have a hacking cough you can't get rid of, it just keeps going. It's a great image. Prayer is something which is absolutely vital, which is something we're called to do every day. So let's think about it carefully. Number one, prayer is something you perform. Prayer is something you perform. I chose this word carefully. I don't mean perform in the sense of perform on stage. I mean in the military sense of the performance of duty. That is to say, it's part of a small class of things in life that you can only learn how to do in a certain way. And guess what it is? You can only learn to do them if you do them. Did you notice the incredible importance, but also the subtlety of what Jesus said in the Gospels? The disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says this, he says, in answer to that, well, let me tell you about prayer. Prayer works like this, as these elements, and no, that's not what he says. He answers it by saying, first, before anything else, he says, when you pray, pray. So prayer is like swimming. Prayer is like marriage. Prayer is like preaching. You can actually only learn to do it if you do it. So the most important thing, first and foremost, is it must be something that you learn to do. It should be as automatic as taking a shower or having a meal or making your bed or getting out of bed. These are things that we all do all the time. We don't even think about them. They're automatic. And prayer should be an automatic part of our functioning life, whether it's in the middle of the day or early in the day or late in the day. It is a call to duty. It is a call to daily duty. It is a call to daily conversation with God. My favorite section of my favorite book on prayer on exactly this point by a Norwegian theologian, O. Halsby. He likens prayer to the work of miners in mining in his wonderful book. And he says, speaking about people who mine into stone, these wonderful words, 
To bore holes into stone is hard and difficult and a task which tries one's patience. To light the fuse and fire the shot when you finally get to the vein of gold and get to blow it up is very interesting work. One sees results from such fine work. It creates interest too. Shots resound. Pieces fly in every direction. It takes trained workmen to do the boring. Anybody can light a fuse. Listen, the Spirit calls us to do the quiet, difficult, trying work of boring wholly explosive materials into the souls of the people in the world by daily and unceasing prayer. That's it in one sentence. The Spirit calls us to do the quiet, difficult, trying work of boring wholly explosive materials into the souls of people. It's that terrible moment in the swim class when the instructor says, okay, that's it. We've done it all. We've held you up in the small end. We've gone through all the strokes. Now we're at the deep end, jump into the pool. And you can't learn to swim unless you get to that point. You just can't. It never happens any other way. You can study all the theorems. You can watch all the YouTube videos you want. You can read all the books on swimming. You're still not swimming. If you haven't begun to pray, you're still not praying. And you've got to do it as something you perform every day. Everybody with me so far? By the way, as we go flying past, just let me make note of the fact that in Mark's gospel, There's this throwaway verse in chapter 1 where it's very clear. Early in the morning, a long while before dawn, Jesus went off by himself to a, a, a lonely place, and there he prayed. So even our Lord prayed every day, and one of the most wonderful ways to think about Jesus' ministry is fullness before overflow. That is to say, everything that the Father gave him that morning is all that flowed out of him all the rest of the day, and that's the way that he lived his life, and that's the way that we're called to live our lives. If you think of Jesus in that way, when you think of something like, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, which is a quote from the Old Testament, by the way, it's just something that he learned to do. He's praying at the cross all the way to the end. He's praying because he's a person of prayer. He had a daily prayer life. He calls us to pray, and he only learned to pray by doing it. Even Jesus learned to pray. First of all, something you perform. Everybody with me so far? All right, number two. This is now we get into the details, and this is incredibly important. Prayer is passionate and pointed. Prayer is passionate and pointed. There's a great section in Calvin's Institutes on prayer. It's actually, I think, one of the most insightful things he ever wrote. He he examines all the biblical prayers and finds four components of every effective prayer in the Bible that he says should be part of every single prayer. And his second point is it must be passionate and pointed. Another rule of prayer, I'm quoting Calvin now, is that in asking, listen to what he says, this is really interesting stuff, we must always truly feel our wants and seriously consider that we need all the things which we ask and thereby accompany the prayer with a sincere, nay, ardent desire of obtaining them. Now that is a profound insight. Prayer in the Bible is always specific, yes, but it's always passionate. In other words, it's like real conversation. Have you ever seen one? Have you ever been part of one? On a sports team, and it's 32 to nothing, and it's halftime, and you're in the locker room. How does the conversation go? Well, the, 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 the players say to the coach, we approacheth you and requesteth. No, they don't. That's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. Here's how it works. They look at the coach and they say, your play calling is terrible. We're losing. We're getting slaughtered. What's wrong with you? And he looks at them and says, there's nothing wrong with my play calling. You didn't execute the plays. You didn't do it right. 
All right, and then they go from there. But it's a real argument. Notice how specific it is. Notice how passionate it is. Read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. The Psalms are the prayer book of Jesus. They're full of this stuff. When I was growing up, we were at the summer home of the YMCA, which is a long story for another time, and all these people came uh, for these various week-long, two-week-long camps, and one of the most fun was the people who train the cheerleaders all over the United States. So just so we're staying together, these are not the cheerleaders. These are the cheerleaders' cheerleaders. Their job is to train, and guess what they did? For eight 10, 12 hours a day, all over campus. All they did was cheer. And our house was on the edge of campus, so we were subjected to nonstop cheers, whether we wanted them or not. So I got up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I heard full voice, our team is red hot. Your team is definitely not. And the... And do you know why I know the words so well? Because I heard them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Now you read the Psalms, and how do the Psalms read? At one point, the psalmist effectively says, says, their team is red hot, our team is definitely not. You're in charge of our team, do something. What's wrong with you? What kind of a coach are you? That's the way that the prayers actually read. You get the sense that something's at stake. You get the sense that it's a real relationship. You get the sense that life really matters. Oh boy, who knew? That's what Calvin is talking about. It's always very specific, and it's always very passionate. Let's give some examples. First of all, from today's New Testament lesson, let's pause and note the cruciality of verse 5. Did you catch it? So Herod's in charge. He kills James. The church's opponents like that. Herod likes that. He's probably going to get more votes in the next election. Hooray. Right? And then because it worked out so well, he takes Peter, the chief among the apostles, and he arrests them. Things are not going well for the church. It's 32 to nothing, and we're at the end of the second quarter. And here they are, and it says, Peter was put in prison. Then it says, an earnest prayer was made to God on his behalf by the church. Now, here's the question. If I stuck you in that prayer room, how do you think that they're praying? Here's how they're praying, brothers and sisters. They're praying like this, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth by the power of your outside strand. Herod is creaming us. James is dead. Things are not going well. You have to take care of our leader, and you've got to get him out of that prison. Please, Lord, deliver him. We don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know why. Just do it. That's how they're praying, just like that. And it literally changed history, all those prayers. Literally changed history. There's a great hymn, And Can It Be, which is written about this whole section of Scripture. My chains fell off. And don't miss the wonderful details in the story that let you know that it's true. Did everybody catch what Rhoda did? I love Rhoda. She's one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. There's Peter finally out. All made it all the way through the inner prison, the second layer, the third layer. He's already out. He's knocking at the courtyard door. Rhoda sees him. Her jaw drops. It's really him. Yep, it's really him. So she runs away. Peter's still knocking at the door. She left the chief apostle knocking at the door. She goes in. The, she says, Peter's there. They basically say, you lost your mind. Are you on pot? What is wrong with you? Are you crazy? Give us a break. And she won't let up. She keeps insisting that it's him. And there's a wonderful gap in the story. You don't know how long it takes. It says, and when they opened, well, how long was that? Well, she was making their lives miserable by saying, no, it's really him. No, it's not. And they went back to praying. And she said, don't pray. It's already been answered. He's out there. Well, you're hallucinating. No, I'm not. I promise you it's really him. They go back and he's still knocking. Good old Rhoda. She left Peter at the door. 
does it, does it matter? You know why she did it. She was so excited because it was literally history changing and life changing. It was a corporate answer to prayer. He only got there because of all those prayers. How many prayers? Days, weeks, hours, lots. How united were they? How fervent were they? How specific were they? You got the idea. What about Nehemiah in the Old Testament? For those of you Old Testament people, the walls are down. You ever read Nehemiah 1? It says he, he cried, he fasted, he, he wept, and he, he was heartbroken. He prays his prayer, and he basically says, Sovereign Lord, you've made a covenant with us. We've sinned. We've been stubborn. It's our fault. Please forgive us. Rebuild these walls. Bring your people back together. Reconstitute Jerusalem. It's very passionate. It's very specific. This is the way that we're called to pray. When we say the Lord's Prayer, as I never tire of pointing out, it is not simply something we are to say every day. It is a pair of glasses through which we are to see the world. And one of the things Spurgeon points out in his wonderful commentary and sermons on the Lord's Prayer is the Lord's Prayer is very specific. It's also very ambitious. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, that's kind of not, not too extraordinary, but he says... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As Virgin points out, last time I checked, God's will is done perfectly in heaven. So when you pray that, you're actually praying that God will have ultimate triumph in all the things that are going on in the world. That's as an ambitious prayer as you can possibly get. Wow. Must think God can really do something. That's exactly the kind of prayer we're talking about. These are people who believe God will really make a difference. They put their heart into it, and they're very specific. So you all with me so far? I'll take the bells. Um, <laughs> so number one, it's something you perform. Number two, it's something which is passionate and pointed. It's always specific. Tell God what you want. Tell God who you are. Tell God where you are. Tell God how you feel. Are we all together so far? Lastly, it's something you perform. It's something that's passionate and pointed. Finally, it's something that's powerful. It just is awesome to talk about prayer because prayer changes everything. Elizabeth and I have a friend who says, God is good, God is on his throne, and prayer changes things. That's the way he greets us. Just those three things. Because somehow when you pray, you touch into the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and somehow when you pray, because of who God is and his generosity. Did you catch his generosity in Luke? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Just get the picture of God up there constantly. All you have to do is ask, seek, knock. I'm ready. Just ask, just request. Just get in touch with me. If you get in touch with power like that, it unleashes real power that changes the world. To quote James, which I love, the prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you pray like that? That's the last question. So I've got all these files with all these stories on prayer, and I've got to choose. It's really a shame I only get to choose one. But here's my choice for today. It's from Tony Campolo. It's one of my favorite stories about prayer, and I love it for all of its great detail. Of all things, he's at a Pentecostal college chapel service where he's been asked to preach, and when you're with the Pentecostals, you do as they say. They're led by the Spirit. They don't have a liturgy, but they do have the Spirit, and things are done the way that they want. So Tony is told that he has to go to this room, and eight men are going to pray for him. 
And as it starts, he's like, oh, this is great. Well, the first problem he has is they all put their hands on his head. And as he says, I want to tell you, when eight guys are leaning on your head, after a while, it doesn't feel so good. <laughs> but then as he says, as he's going through this story, he says, to make matters even worse, one of the guys isn't even praying for him. He went on and on praying for somebody named Charlie Stoltfus. Now, this is at a Pentecostal chapel in the back, right before the service, where he's going to preach. Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. Tony later said that he wanted to inform the person who was praying that God did not need to be furnished with directional material. <laughs> Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Step in and do something, God. Bring that family back together. Pentecostal prayer service. He's the one that's speaking. What is this? So Tony finishes the sermon. He gets in his car. He's in Pennsylvania. He gets on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And as he's going down the Pennsylvania Turnpike, he's, he knows this guy inside of the road. He's a hitchhiker, and he's got a little time. And he says, so he starts to pray. And he says, well, you know, I, I could love my neighbor. So I'm just going to pick this guy up. So he picks him up. It's kind of quiet for the first couple of minutes. And he says, hi, my name's Tony Campello. What's your name? He says, my name's Charlie Stolfus. <laughs> Campello turns white from the neck up. So he's driving, he goes down the turnpike, gets off at the next exit, turns around. At this point, his passenger got a bit uneasy because he knew the way. And after his uneasiness reached a point he couldn't stand it anymore, he said to Campolo, hey, mister, where are you taking me? And I said, I'm taking you home. He said, with narrower and narrower eyes, why? <laughs> Why? I said, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? Then he turned white from the neck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And with shock all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off me the rest of the trip. Then I really did him in as I drove right to the silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how in the world did you know I lived here? I said, God told me. When he opened the trailer door, his wife explained, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more they talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said to the two of them with real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk, and you two are going to listen. And man, did they listen. That afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ. Well, he was praying for Charlie Stoltfus. And did you notice, by the way, what a perfect illustration that is on my second point? Did you hear how the Pentecostal prayed for Charlie Stolfus? This guy in this trailer with this situation in his marriage and this situation in his kids, just exactly the kind of prayer that I'm talking about. And it changed history. Everything changed. Does it make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. But it does, because God has a way of weaving together the threads of our lives into the tapestry we call history. It's just uncanny the way that he does it. And if it worked for Tony Campolo and those Pentecostals, and it worked for the figures in Scripture, and it worked for our Lord, it'll work for us. So three simple thoughts on prayer, brothers and sisters. First of all, it's something you perform. Second of all, it's passionate and pointed. And third of all, it's powerful. Now I'm concluding, and I'm after you.
And this is a bit like the scripture sermon because I know where people live and move and have their being. And see, I want to preach this in such a life that, it, that in such a way that it makes a difference in your prayer life. So here are three categories of people to whom I'm speaking because I know the way the world works. So number one, I'm talking to people who really don't have a prayer life and don't think that you're kidding God. You're certainly not kidding God. If you think you can kid me and Jonathan, you probably can. But lots of people spend a lot of their life in the church and never, ever have a prayer life of their own. So you're not getting out of here alive. Nobody does. Newsflash. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. I've said this before. Still true. Every day's a gift. It's the only day you get. The Bible only knows two days, two day, and that day, the great and terrible day of judgment. Those are the only two days you get, right? So if today is the day which is the rest of your life, and Jesus said to pray every day, exactly when are you going to start? This is for you. You've got, it, it's never too late to start to pray. But the most important thing to, to learn from this sermon is you've got to commit to doing it and to try. Because you're not going to learn to pray unless you pray. So find a place in the house. Find a time. And for heaven's, sense, heaven's sakes, use common sense. If you're a morning person, don't pray before going to bed so that you fall asleep two minutes into the prayer. That doesn't work. If you can't do it in the morning and you have a lunch hour, you can make five minutes and you can sit at your desk and you can close your eyes. You can find a quiet place at work. You can find a way to do this. There's just a way. It's a question of trying to help yourself find it, but you can do it. But here's the thing. Start with five minutes and try to pray five minutes a day for the next, next week. That's my challenge to you. Number two, I'm talking to people who have a prayer life, but it's very inconsistent. See, I know this because I have a prayer life, and there are lots of times in my life when it gets inconsistent. In fact, I have a rule of life. Do you know what it is? If my exercise life or my prayer life starts going down the tubes, that's about as high a red flag as there is. Those are the last two things to go. But go they do sometimes, and they shouldn't. So here's the thing. I'm talking to people who have a commitment to prayer, but it's a Monday, Wednesday, and every once in a while. It, the point is it's inconsistent. And so this is a challenge to you. This is a challenge to you. If, if we are to always pray and not to faint, if we're to pray daily and pray without ceasing, then there's an element of consistency, right? I point this out to you all the time. The bank has higher standards than most Christians do, right? The bank doesn't write you at the end of the year and say, you know, really, 10 out of 12 mortgage payments, pretty good, <laughs> right? That's just not the way that banks work, right? So, but you take the same person, and if they get 10 out of 12 days prayer, they're fine, as if God's fine with that. It's not like that. It should be as automatic as a shower or as automatic as... So this is a challenge for you to find a way uh, to pray to be more consistent. And here's the thing. When it says, ask and you shall um, get an answer, seek and you will find, something you can ask for is just you can ask for more consistency. You can ask for a greater desire to pray. It's one of the most important things to pray for. And the last people I'm after are people who have a prayer life, which is somewhat consistent. And, and I'm ambitious, so I'm after you too. So I've got a couple of questions for you, which is this. What can you add to your prayer life that you've never done before in the next year? You do realize that you're supposed to grow in prayer, not simply pray. I was a Christian for three years, to give you but one example, before I was at a retreat, and we were told that we were going to pray for an entire day. I was like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> And they sent us out to pray for an entire day. By the way, they sent us out with a guide. They explained how to do it. It was a very skeletal guide. It gave lots of room to maneuver in terms of our specific style and personality and all that. I had an amazing experience. I'd literally never done that. 
Um, Chris Warner, one of the things I love that he did is he paid the staff to pray for a day. Did you know that? Why did, what a waste of time and money. No, not in your life. What a smart thing to do. He used to bring it up regularly at staff meetings. Have you done your day of prayer? I'm paying you to not work and pray. That's because he knew the importance of it. So uh, you can go and take a course on prayer. You can, you can learn about prayer. You can try to pray in another part of the day where you've never prayed before. You can go on a retreat. Uh, we, we have an abbey just up the road which lots of people in Southern South Carolina use all the time. And they, that's a whole community of prayer. But I want you to promise me, if that's you, that you'll do something that you've never done before in the next year. And here's my question for you. Exactly what is it? And are you going to commit to it? And are you going to stick to your commitment? Are we together? Jesus said we are always to pray and not to faint. Nothing is more important than prayer. And prayer is nothing but a conversation with God. And if God made heaven and earth and God has everything in his hands, it would be a good idea for us to avail ourselves of his presence on a regular basis. So let us learn, brothers and sisters, as a community and as individuals to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.